How's it going, everybody? Back for another interview-based podcast. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, we're going to be getting into assessing and training the overhead athlete. We're going to be talking with Andrew Millet. He's a physical therapist, and he's the owner of Move Strong PT, which is based out of Eric Cressy or Cressy Sports Performance in Massachusetts. Uh, I've gotten to know Andrew through some of our relationships via the PT biz, but also I've just followed some of his works for a while being linked to Cressy as well. He has a lot of great social media content. Um, and knowing the gym he's at and things like that, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about overhead athletes with him. Uh, he's got a diverse background, including SFMA. I mean, he does use manual. He does use some different assessments. So I think you'll get a lot out of today. And I really appreciate Andrew taking the time. So enjoy. All right, Andrew, thanks for taking the time. I'm kind of excited to learn about your approach and talk a little bit about overhead athletes. I've gotten to kind of indirectly know you through uh, some of our mentorship programs that we do for the PT side of things and following you and your business. So I'm excited to actually talk a little bit. Um, we could talk about tons of different things, but I want to try to gear it towards like the, the overhead athlete and ideally give some trainers and PTs and such some insights. But before we get started, tell us about yourself. How, how long have you been a PT? Where are you at? What's your practice like? Yeah, no, I thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Yeah. Um, I've been a physical therapist thir almost 14 years now, 13 right now. Um, you know, I went to Springfield College in Western Massachusetts, got my degrees there. And I kind of bounced around from, you know, different practices. And then about nine years after being in the field, I was fortunate enough to had been working out and training at Cressy Sports Performance in Hudson, Massachusetts. So I created a great relationship with, you know, Pete and Eric. Um, so I decided or while training here, you know, Eric wanted to put physical therapy in the facility. And I was like, all right, awesome. When can we do it? So that was in April of 2017. And by August, September-ish, so about four years ago now, um, I started here one day a week. And then over a 10 month span, I went from one day a week and working full-time home health to five days a week, full-time my own business and no longer working from, for anybody else. So it's, there you uh, go. yeah. the business is will be officially be four years old with, from the LLC in, in November. Okay. Um, and then in, in May, it'll be, um, four years here full-time. Okay. Okay. So then do you have like mentors or like a methodology you kind of follow or what, what are some like, yeah, things that have guided you along your PT path to kind of build your approach? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think of myself as like a mutt. So like from yeah. a soft tissue standpoint, I do cupping, scraping, dry needling, hands-on joint mobilization, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, from a, an assessment and, you know, treatment standpoint, I've used SFMA, PRI, FRC, alphabet soup, you name it. Um, <laughs> and like, just basically like from what I've seen, you know, I don't, I'm using air quotes work over yeah. the years yeah. of like what's been effective. I'll implement it in. Um, so I've been fortunate enough to be around amazing strength and conditioning coaches in our facility here that um, I've definitely like trial different things and really like kind of hone my approaches over the years. How, how do you guys blend that at your setup? So, I mean, do you have people who are training two or three times a week with Cressy and then they're seeing you once or how does that model integrate? Yeah. So typically if someone's just training at CSP, then they're just training. But if someone yeah. is dealing with like an ache or a pain or an injury or even surgery, 
um, typically, you know, we'll be brought in to consult with the athlete and the coaches, um, after, you know, the coaches made some, some training modifications, if the training modifications, you know, aren't sufficient and, you know, the athletes still in pain or still dealing with, you know, some issues that will be brought in to consult. And then typically we'll start up a course of care of, you know, sometimes we'll see them once a week, depending on, you know, if they've had surgery to typically two or three times a week, it all depends on the case. Yeah. Um, so some of our athletes will, will come to us from that side of things. Um, if we have an athlete that, you know, would be a good fit for CSP after their treatment with us, then, you know, sometimes we'll have them go to CSP to train depending on, you know, what their goals are. Um, we also have other trainers and coaches that we collaborate with outside the facility. So it's really based on fit with, you know, the coaching staff here and what the athletes goals are and, yep. and what the coaches, you know, how they, how they would fit with a coach outside of here as well. So, yeah. um, we don't have, we don't have a typical model in that. Like we see people three times a week for 30 years, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, typically we'll start off hard and fast at once to two times a week. And then as the athletes feeling better, we'll taper down to once a week and then every other week, and then more on like on a movement checkup basis once a month. The, the model just makes so much sense, right? Like health is everything. It's not like PT by itself or training by itself. And I don't know the traditional like cookie cutter PT clinic, I think just misses that so much where they get you out of pain, but they don't actually get to the real solution of things. Um, so and that's, good job. And that's, good job. Th thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why like, I like what we do because yeah. even at that once a month performance checkup, we're still keeping a pulse on how they're moving, how their strength is like how they're feeling like they may feel great, but their hip might be stiffening up or their shoulder and they don't know it yet, but it also allows us time to like really quarterback their health and wellness. So like we're talking about sleep, nutrition, hydration, stress management, so that, you know, I'm not an expert in those fields, but like, I know a little bit enough to like help guide somebody. And yeah. then if, if they're really struggling with sleep or nutrition or, or whatever, then we can really kind of go down that rabbit hole with maybe a, a provider that, you know, like a sports psychologist or, you know, a therapist or a nutritionist or you name it to, yeah. to just try to get them to be the best version of themselves. Yeah. Awesome. Let's get into the, the shoulder a little bit. So I think it's good just to lay the foundation of like how the, the shoulder works before we get into like how we would manage it. So if I was a client of yours and maybe I had shoulder impingement, rotator cuff tendonitis, I was a volleyball player or something like that. Where do you, where do you start in explaining the biomechanics in simple terms to like a client? Like this is how a shoulder works and this is what's wrong with you. Like what's your spiel that you like to start with there? I definitely would want to start with an assessment first to kind of yep. see, you know, what is the root cause of all this? So as you know, every injury is multifaceted or every, yep. you know, ache or pain. So, you know, we do an assessment and then that's where like, I'll look at the SFMA and, and utilize some other principles. I'll look at, you know, neck mobility, you know, can they rotate side to side actively, passively, you know, can, does the shoulder have, you know, flexion extension, external internal rotation does the ability to abduct um well, how does the, the trunk has the thoracic spine look does it extend does it rotate can it flex which a lot of you know people think oh extension rotation is the only important part well yeah. they both matter yeah um you know looking at the relationship of the rib cage to the pelvis so to answer your question it depends on the assessment so like if a client comes in and say they're limited in overhead mobility like the ability to passively get their arms overhead then you know, we need to start there to address, you know, all right, you can't get your arms overhead. We need to be able to get them overhead. Um, so we talked about, all right, the arm needs to be able to move on the socket. So like yeah. this, got to move like this, but also the, the shoulder blade needs to be able to rotate 
as well because if the, the arm just moves and the shoulder blade doesn't then that's not ideal yeah and then we also want to look at thoracic spine so you know that shoulder blade sits on that thoracic spine and if the thoracic spine is overly you know flexed it's not an ideal surface for the scapula to sit but also if the thoracic spine is too flat it's still not an ideal surface for the scapula to sit so i basically just really simplify it i always think of like if i can explain it to my nine nine-year-old son then i can explain <laughs> to anybody so yeah. if uh, I basically try to like make it as simple as possible so that the athlete or the client is like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because, you know, you could just tell them to do an exercise and if they don't understand the, the why behind it, then it's, it's can only get you so far. Yeah. What are you, what are your thoughts on posture? It's kind of like a, a hot topic where some people, at least in the PT world say it matters. Some say it don't, there's battles over social media on it. Um, I don't think posture is the end all be all, but it definitely influences things. Do you have a posture talk with people like, Hey, you're playing video games 12 hours a day. And then you expect us to go throw a baseball or do you get into that kind of stuff or what are your thoughts there? Yeah. And I'm going to use the answer that I use all the time. It depends. Yeah. Like yeah. It's, <laughs> it's one of those things yeah. that, I mean, it's not the be all end all, but it's, it shouldn't be dismissed. I mean, it shouldn't be dismissed. So like, you said it perfectly. Like if you're sitting playing video games 12 hours a day, that's going to have an effect on something. And, you know, I use the analogy of like, you know, when people are like, Oh, my neck is, my neck hurts, you know, after playing video games all day, well, you bend your finger back, you feel stretch. Now hold it there for eight hours and see how it feels. It's not going to feel great. So what I tell clients and athletes, I'm like, posture is dynamic. So like, as I'm sitting here talking with you, like, you know, I'm kind of rounded over, but in yeah. a minute, I'm probably going to sit up nice and tall and, and change yeah. positions. So yeah. the body light, it's not that sitting or not, it's not that sitting is the new smoking. It's just not moving is the new smoking. And yeah. it's, like it's, that. you know, you need to sit, you need to stand, you need to be in the, all these different positions. And I definitely have the posture discussion with people of like, I mean, start here, but move around. Like when your body feels stiff and tight, that's your brain telling you, Hey, get up and move. So it matters, but it's, it's, it's a piece of the puzzle. It's just like putting salt in a recipe. It's not the whole recipe. Yeah. Do you get into like postural stuff with like athletic performance? Like, are you pausing their pitching form and seeing what their pitching alignments like or batting or fill in the blank squats um, or something like that? I know enough about pitching to be dangerous. So <laughs> I, we've, I'm fortunate to have a pitching coach on staff okay. here. Oh, okay. he doesn't work for me. He works for CSP, yeah. but I have, pretty frequent conversations with him about what he's seeing on the mound and what I see on the table. And if he's like, Oh yeah, this athlete has a tough time getting into their back hip or loading their, their foot that's on the rubber. I can find things on the table that tell me, Oh yeah, this athlete has a difficult time getting into that back hip. So we'll have conversations like that. But when it comes to mechanics, like I can understand what the pitching coach is saying or, and kind of related to the athlete, but I try not to, to go, I mean, not that I can, I just, I don't have enough experience and, you know, skill set to like want to tinker with mechanics. I'll just, yep. I'll just pump that to the pitching coach. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so then when you kind of briefly talked about some assessments you like to do, but like, let's say we have a pitcher with Tommy John or something like that. Do you have like an upper quarter return to play metric? There's tons obviously on ACL and all that, but do you use any sort of criteria like, Hey, this person's somewhat efficient and I feel more comfortable starting a throwing program or. 
Yeah, I um, I'm still trying to find like the upper body version or or create yeah. the upper body version of a, yeah. of a a readiness test. I mean, there's some things that are out there that are it, the, the field's getting better every day. So like finding a way to have some biomarkers of saying yes, you're ready, no, you're not, kind of yeah. like you would with um, you know ACL and hop testing and mm-hmm. you know force plates and the such. So um, typically, what I, I I like to do is like if I know an athlete needs to be here, so say return to throw is here, like, yeah. well, you know, just because you're at four months, Tommy John or five months doesn't mean just because you hit day one of four months yeah. or five months, yeah. you're ready. Yeah. yeah. Like if I sat on the couch for four months, does that mean I'm ready? Yeah. So what I take the end goal and like what I do with everything, I reverse engineer it all. So like, if you want to throw, then all right, what do we need to do before that? So say we need to get prerequisite range of motion at the elbow for instance, with a Tommy John at the elbow. So flexion, extension, pronation, supination with elbow flex and extended. Yep. Then we also need to make sure the shoulder can move. Um, And I'm glazing over it for for, for time purposes, but making sure the shoulder can move um, in multiple planes of motion, neck, as well as thoracic spine and even lower body too. Like if someone just had Tommy John surgery, I'm not going to necessarily go after their hips right away. But when they start to return to throw, I want to make sure they have plenty of hip mobility they can control that hip mobility through control, motor control and uh, stability program. So, and then as we go through that, you know, basically uh, when someone's coming back from surgery, they're going to need a, a base level of strength to be able to do what they want to do. So, you know, going through, you know, a basic shoulder and forearm and elbow progression for, you know, strengthening, it's nothing sexy. It's just like, yeah. just get building up a base level of strength, working on rhythmic stabilization at the forearm and the shoulder so that, that arm is not necessarily just strong, but it's reactively stable and being able to like, not just be strong, but like react quickly and yes, produce force yeah. submaximally. Um, and then we'll eventually progress, progress in, and we are building volume throughout all these phases. And then we get into more of like a dynamic, uh, reactive shoulder stability and forearm stability with like a weighted ball, like a mm-hmm. bio ball drops, I call them in multiple positions. Yep. Yep. And I tell the athlete, these are really important. It just builds up your tolerance and your resiliency in these positions. And then eventually we, we transition to like more of a med ball progression where you're doing two arm progression, like chest pass, scoop toss, overhead toss, slams. And then we're yeah. going into one arm taps, like down at the side and overhead. And then working into like deceleration drills with like a plyo ball and then reverse throws. And then, and then going into a gradual return to throw program and then like with, with any type of injury or surgery, like we're managing stress. So as an athlete is increasing their stress level via physically, et cetera, we want to make sure we're not overstressing them or, or understressing them. So I tell athletes like, yeah, you might be sore the next day after you throw, like, don't be alarmed. That's normal. Yeah. Like, but the next time you throw, like if you're sore, if it, if you can loosen up and it feels good, that's fine. But if you're sore while like, even with thrown, like then we just push it out another day. So yeah, yeah. it's a whole process. And I think just managing the athlete's expectations throughout that process is really huge. Like huge. Yeah. everyone thinks you start here and you finish here, but throughout <laughs> the entire process, you like, it's like this. Yes. Yeah. You're up to, for the, yeah. for the, yeah. For the people who are, who are listening, like it's, you're going to have great weeks. You're going to have crappy weeks and you're going to have some days that just, you're all right. I'm okay. Yep. But like, I think we just have to have those conversations with clients and athletes. So they're not like, Whoa, what's going on? Did I re hurt myself? So yep. that way yeah. you're on the same page. Yeah. Do you guys use a uh, like handheld dynamometry or like isolation strength testing at all? 
we do for our lower body athletes from yeah. like ACL return to yeah. sport. Um, yeah. I have done it with some of our Tommy Johns for like overhead, like in that 90, yeah. 90 external yeah. rotation position. Um, the tough part is like, I'm trying to find other data that is normative per se. Yeah. Um, cause like I did on one of my Tommy Johns who had, um, surgery and like, like he was stronger on his right side, which is his throwing side. So I was yeah. happy to see that, but I would like to, you know, find some more objective data to say, okay, all right, this is where you need to be kind of like, you know, the ACL stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, I think, I think it's not to like say we don't use objective data. I'm just trying to find it so we can be more objective, but yeah, yeah I think just, we just need to get more information out there. Yeah. I think the most evidence-based return to play or readiness stuff for like shoulders is like a seated shot put like a push-up shoulder tap it's not very sport specific or replicating right. loads yeah there's kind of a gap in the evidence there and i don't have the time to work on it <laughs> hopefully and someone and does it yeah. yeah and a lot of those a lot like you gotta figure baseball and throwing and overhead is like it's a traction a sport so like yeah. if i get to ball release my arm's gonna be traction at the glenohumeral joint and i mean there's going to be compression in other areas and traction as opposite to those but it's yeah i think it's tough to because if you, you got to look at compression traction forces yeah. you got to look at compressive forces so it's i just think it, i'm i would love to come up with a system where you know it's we can just be more objective with it exactly um let's get into the the elbows a little bit so like what do you think are drivers of the the Tommy John or kind of the increased prevalence of medial elbow injuries? Is it early specialization? Is it volume? Is it a lack of just efficient strength and eventually the system just gives or what are your kind of insights there? And what do you think is driving the elbow issues that we're seeing so much these days? All of the above. <laughs> All of the above. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't know the answer. Yeah. I, th I think it's a little bit of everything kind of like going back to like the recipe analogy. It's, you know, there are guys who can throw 200 plus innings in the major leagues and they're fine. And there's other guys who throw and then they get hurt. So, yeah. I mean, there's, I've listened, I've talked to enough surgeons and, you know, if, you know, inning count or pitch count is a big one, you know, you know, previous injury history, like, or even as a young kid, like previous elbow injury, like it's another risk factor. And, you know, as we get, as an athlete gets older, like, you know, lack of mobility of the shoulder joint is the big precursor to like, if you can't completely get your arms overhead, so lack of shoulder flexion, that's not going to allow you to get into, into layback and in turn going to put stress on the medial elbows. So, um, it all in pitch throwing mechanics and it's, that's why I'm, I'm really spoiled and I'm grateful to be in a facility that I'm at where I can collaborate with solid strength conditioning coaches, great pitching coaches that way. Like we can all be on the same page of like, all right, you know, they look good on the table. How are they looking in the gym? How are they looking on the mound? Yep. So it's, I think for, for, for any listeners out there, it's, it's just managing all those variables. And I mean, when an athlete gets hurt, like even the, the people who have all their ducks in a row injuries happen and it's like, you're not going to prevent them. And I think you can minimize the risk for sure. I, but I think like, there's just some that you're having a bad day. You slept poor the night before, like there's all these variables that go into it. So it's, I think what the, the different items that you mentioned all play into it. Um, but it, it's, I wouldn't say there's just one glaring yeah. thing. I, how er I, how early are you seeing like baseball specialization these days? Like eight, nine, <laughs> like, I mean, that, is it younger? 
I've seen some like 10 year olds be on travel ball teams. Yeah. I've seen and town teams. I think the biggest thing I try to convey to parents is like play a bunch of different sports. Like I'm okay. I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to get them to stop travel ball, but I think, and I mean, I, there's benefits to, you know, travel ball and there's, yes. you know, I think just play a bunch of different sports. Like, I mean, I was not a great athlete, but I think like yeah. throughout high school, I played three sports and yeah. I never really got hurt in high school. Yeah. So I think it's just that, that movement variability. And it's like James Andrews has said, like, you know, early sports specialization is like, should not be happening. And yes. it's like, when you see a 12 year old get an ACL tear, or you see a 14 year old have Tommy John, like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's something needs to give. And I, th- I think just trying to educate people and do the best you can with it. Like, I know, like I can only control myself and my family and my kids yep. to an extent regarding sports. So like, I think just being the, do the best you can with educating the people in front of you, like, Hey, these are the risk factors. Like when you leave these walls of this facility, like you're, you're up, you can make your own decision. Yes. Yeah. I think back in the day we used to get away with a little bit more specialization because kids were like playing more and just doing more diverse things. But like, I I work with a bunch of basketball kids where literally they play basketball twice a day. They train four or five times a week. It's like 365 days a year, but multiple times a day. And I can't remember the last time they rode a bike or like just screwed around. (laughs) So it's just a repetitive load over and over and over again. And then it's, it's a messed up system because then the kids feel like, they're cheating or they're not working as hard if they're not doing it every day. Cause the coaches are telling them it's like, it's a lose lose situation for a lot of these kids. It's just tricky. I, I, yeah. And you brought up a great point. And another one I was thinking too, is yeah. that like, yeah, you know, the coach is like when they're with you and like, if you have that athlete that wants to keep striving to get better, like I'm all for that. Like, and you know, yeah. keep working hard and keep doing stuff to make, to excel. At the end of the day, it's too like you're gonna be a kid and like you're gonna go play and like run around outside and climb trees and stuff like yes. that. And but with with the way the world is now with 2021, like you know, this video games is more than ever. And it's yep. I've seen it with my nine year old of like, you know, that's how he communicates with his friends playing Fortnite. Yep. So it's like it's one of the, yeah. I, we yeah. laugh about it. It is, it's it true. is, it's so true. Yeah, it's, no, I agree. So I think like as my 98 year old grandmother would say is everything in moderation. Like, yep. you know, you can play your video games, you can eat your sweets, like, but you got to have your vegetables too. You got to get outside and play. Like, I think just having a bit, a little bit, I don't say balance, but having a little bit of variability in, in different things that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's pivot into like arm care and some like stability based drills that you like to do. Do you, I mean, the old school arm care approach was like the throwers 10 of like some prone, row variations and external rotation drills. And I think there's still some value to that, but like, what is, how do you educate people on arm care? Obviously you got to kind of earn the right to throw versus just go out there and starting with long toss, but yeah. What do you like to tell people there? Yeah. I mean, arm care, like it's, it's important, but like everything it's, you need all the other pieces. So like, yeah, we go back to the mobility, the stability, but also like having a good base level of strength. So I'm not telling a nine-year-old to go lift, but like, you know, if you're playing in high school, like having a base level of strength to produce force and having the the muscular strength to deal with that stress of like throwing is going to be really important. So like you can do all the band exercise you want, but like you need to have like a foundational base level of strength. And I think in order to, to, to compete, 
Do um, you have like metrics there? Like you want them deadlifting their body weight or any sort of like goals that you try to set for people? I usually have the strength and conditioning staff really like yeah, kind of drives on that. Stuff. Not, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not that yeah. I say I, I don't, not yeah. saying I don't care. I just, no, I, let I, get them, what you're I let them manage it, but it's, I think just having the ability to be able to move and like produce force and also buffer force and buffer stress. Yeah, so I like that. Yeah. I, I think when it comes to, to arm care, it's like I said, it's important, but like I, what I tell all my athletes, if they're coming off an injury or not, it's like, listen, like, yes, your arm is important, but like you got to take care of the rest of your body because the arm, the body creates all this force and then the arm delivers the ball. So, I mean, yeah, you can do forearm, forearm work matters, cuff work matters, like, you know, upper body, like upward scapular rotation work matters. But I think like, you know, having good ability to use your hips, have the mobility to get into your hips, use them effectively, it all matters. So like when I create a custom program, like a warm up program for somebody, it's going to consist of, you know, shoulder elbow work. It's going to consist of some type of, you know, core or hip or pelvic control work so that, you know, like if, if an athlete has a tough time getting into their hips, that's going to directly push more of that stress up the chain mm-hmm. into the low back, the shoulder, the neck, the elbow, so that, all right, you know, let's, let's activate that hip a little bit more so that you can basically all that forces come from the lower body and versus like just concentrating the shoulder and the elbow. So yeah, there'll be some specific cuff work. There'll be some specific upward scapular rotation work. Um, and you just got to make sure you're, you're accounting for the lower body as well. And in the, in the trunk position that goes along with it so that, you know, the, the arm isn't a slave to, you know, the rest of the body. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's kind of tricky to do this via a podcast, but like, what are your, some of your go-to like scap stay drills or rotator cuff drills? Are you doing yeah, like a combo of functional uh, stuff as well as like banded stuff or what do you like to do? Uh, it really depends on what the athlete has at their disposal. So like, you know, if they have some band work, we'll do like a two to one band assisted external rotation. So they're like in half kneeling, yep. the left arm helps the right arm pull back to end range and they go slow, like, eccentric yeah i like that uh, ir and then the same for ir um we'll do some like 90 90 like in prone like uh external rotation end range liftoffs to give them some more dynamic end range cuff control yeah um um, let's see i mean for elbow just some forearm like pronation supination type strengthening stuff to like control and buffer those stresses at the elbow um i like doing some hip airplane work to help like Mm -hmm. get the hips to be able to rotate and move um trying to think what else definitely some like you know t-spine positioning drills where like you know what we talked about earlier is like if an athlete can't flex their thoracic spine it's going to dictate the position of the scap and in turn the shoulder so you know something like all fours belly lift or like some type of reaching variation because a lot of these athletes either have a flat t-spine or they're extended that's not to say they can't be flexed but yeah i mean teaching the athlete to be able to like round their upper back to put the scapula in a good position um is really important. So like, um, for scapula, like, you know, whether it be an wall slide variation or like an all fours belly lift for the press off, like going overhead and, you know, reaching and rounding, um, it really depends on the athlete in front of me. So it's, you know, some of these drills work for people and some of them don't. So it's just all about finding the right variation for the athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about training rotation? Do you do that? Do you guys like have a Kaiser pulley or something like that? Are you doing like chops and lifts and rotation drills? Oh yeah. Like we have functional trainers. So we'll do chops yeah. and lifts. I mean, they have the Proteus machine here. So they also work with, um, you know, different like 
stuff like that. They use med yeah. ball variations for shot put tosses, scoop tosses, slams, yeah. like multi-planar movements. So it's uh, that's more What's on the training Proteus? side of things. What's a Proteus machine? I don't even know what that it's, is. It's it's hard to describe with a podcast, <laughs> but it's basically this machine that like mimics swimming underwater. So there's resistance all throughout. Huh. And it is, I think there's concentric and eccentric stress. Oh, or, I think uh, I sorry, talking about. Yeah. Resistance. Um, I'm definitely a noob when it comes to yeah. that. Yeah. But it's, um, it, I know this, the facility is part of their assessment. They'll sometimes utilize that or put that into a um, training program that can work on different, different athletic qualities. So yep. again, it's just a part of the recipe, but um, definitely using triplanar, you know, work to help this athlete out. Yes. And then are you monitoring load at all with these athletes? Like they pitched two games last week. Maybe I'm not going to do as much cuff work or rotation work if they're having a low back issue or do you track that stuff at all? Or is that mostly on the S and C side of things or uh, a little bit of both? Like our coaches yeah. on the S and C side of things, will talk with the athlete directly. If an yeah. athlete's coming in for a performance checkup with me yeah. or my staff will, we'll just talk to them and be like, Oh yeah, I pitched X, whatever. Yeah. And then we might just dial things back and do more of a recovery session. So it's, it's really on the fly. Like it depends. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't want to cu- crush somebody with cuff work yes, the exactly. day after an outing. So yeah. it's really case dependent, but yeah, it's, we, we definitely have a, a conversation with the athlete when, we're, when they're with us. Yeah. And so then I assume you guys see people who maybe have done rehab at a prior facility or they've done it and it didn't work so well. What are, what are some common oversights you're seeing other providers do with overhead athletes in particular? Do you feel like there's yeah. things they're skipping over or missing or? Oh, it's, and it's not to like knock on, on other clinicians. It's no, just the, the no. baseball athlete specifically is a very, I don't want to make it sound like a delicate snowflake, but like, yeah. it's like, it's a very unique athlete. So, yeah. um, and not to boost their ego either, but like, yeah. it's, you have to appreciate the demands of the sport of constantly throwing in one direction. So now I'm not going to tell you to throw the opposite direction, but yeah, it's, you know, I mean, starting off with the shoulder, like, I mean, every athlete is going to have a, a different amount of shoulder flexion. So like, I think assessing it and seeing if you can improve it through at the shoulder, as well as the thoracic spine and, and trunk position. But I think too, like, you know, this athlete on their throwing side is most likely going to have a lot more external rotation than they're not throwing yeah. side. Yeah. And looking at internal rotation, they're probably going to have less on their throwing side than their non-throwing side. And I hear it all the time from parents that come in that they're like, Oh, the doctor said he has GERD. And I'm like, Oh, he has acid reflux. (laughs) (laughs) Kidding. All kidding aside. I know what it is, but it's like these athletes lack lentohumeral internal rotation because they, if they've been throwing from a young age, the, the shoulder socket when you've been throwing from like four or five years old, yeah. the bones are malleable and the growth plates haven't fused yet. So the arc of rotation is going to be shifted posteriorly. Yeah. So yeah. to allow for more layback and in turn, less internal rotation. So what we'll do is we'll look at total motion. So that's external and plus internal equals total motion. And we'll compare yeah. that side to side. And we can, we can work on that through breathing drills or, or soft tissue quality of the shoulder. Yeah. Um, Typically, if there's more than like a five degree difference, if the if the throwing side is five degrees tighter or l- less mobile than the non-throwing side, more than that, you know, we'll try to strive for more motion into internal through soft tissue work, breathing drills, et cetera, yeah. uh, trunk position drills. If the shoulder 
the throwing shoulder has more than five degrees motion than the non-throwing side, then we want to work more on that dynamic stability at end range. Yep. Um, I think that's the biggest thing we see is like, oh, I, have inter- I lack internal rotation. Okay, well, let's see why. Yeah. Um, because if you just start cranking into internal rotation, like it's you, you could be just running into a bony block and you don't want to be trying to drive more of that. So um, that's, that's one of it. Um, I think when it comes to cuff work, it's like cuff work is good, but like you don't need to like burn out the cuff. Like yeah. these muscles are tiny. So it's like, I think improving muscular endurance, base level of strength, but also that d- dynamic reactive capability yeah. and also that end range control as well. Like if you, if you're only getting to 90, 90 and they have 140 degrees of external rotation, like you need to yeah. work on that ability to get into end range and layback. So yep. that's part of it. Um, and not just doing three sets of 10, like, I mean, being giving progressive overload and, yep. and, and also like training the athlete, like before they pitch, like, Hey, you don't need to do three sets of 15 of this, do like a set of 10. You're just getting a pump and some blood flow going. You're not going to get stronger in two minutes. So yep. that's part of it. Um, I think when it comes to the scapula, it's not, we see this quite a bit is like, it's not always down and back or squeeze your shoulder blades down and back. It's, it's really case dependent. So the athlete in front of you is really like military posture, scaps stuck down and back yeah. or stuck together. You need to train that athlete to get those scaps out and around their rib cage to accommodate their humerus when they go overhead. Um, you know, there might be some athletes who do cue a little down and back, but or like a posterior tilt or yeah. of that scapula when they're doing their scapula work. So that's part of it. I mean, also thoracic spine, like you need to be able to extend and rotate, but you also need to be able to flex yeah. from our, you know, cause that's got a good surface for the scapula to sit on. But also from a performance standpoint, when you get to ball release in the baseball world, it's called extension, which yeah. kind of is counterintuitive in the PT world, but <laughs> at ball release, it's called yeah. extension. So if you, if you don't have good thoracic flexion, your extension or distance from your hand to the plate is going to be decreased because you're stuck yeah. into more thoracic yeah. spine extension. So yeah. from a performance standpoint, the, that gives the hitter more time to pick up the ball and in turn hit it. So, yeah. and not even just from an injurious or a, um, PT standpoint. So I think those are the biggest things. Um, it's, that's what we see. And we just try to, we try to educate the client and the athlete and the parents, um, on that of why it matters to what they want to do. Yeah. I think like kind of summarize what you're saying is often the specificity is kind of lost where maybe the person has symmetrical range of motion and symmetrical strength, but they're not in the traditional setting, carrying that over to the demands of baseball. And thus right. there's a big gap there. Um, cool. No, that's yeah. makes complete sense. Um, One thing I try to educate too, yeah. like, and I talk to our pitching coach about there's just workload management. Like a lot of these athletes throw a lot, throw too much. They just have to, you know, not necessarily shut down throwing, but like learn to like, you know, trust, trust the process and like yeah. gradually build up strength and in, in durability over time. So like, if you have tryouts in three months, like, all right, I need to plan my throwing program accordingly so that I can build up to that and be ready versus waiting till the last month and trying to get ready. Then it's, it's really like, you gotta, like, it's a fine balance of working enough, but not too much. Yeah. I can't count how many times I've had a kid come in like two weeks before the season started and say, I'm ready to get strong. <laughs> and you're like, uh, this is, this isn't how it works. Should have we'll talked to me three months ago. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, if there's, coaches, trainers, PTs out there that kind of want to like follow what you guys are doing and things like that. How can people 
catch up with uh, your practice. Did you even say what the name of your practice is? Yeah. Yeah. No, we didn't. Uh, Move yeah. Strong Physical Therapy. Yeah. Um, it's on Instagram, Facebook. I don't, we would just repost our Instagram kind of Twitter if we do do it. Yeah. Um, I don't we have do a YouTube Twitter page. Either. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have time for that. Um, <laughs> and that Move Strong Physical Therapy is the biggest one. My email is just Andrew Millet PT at Gmail. Okay. Um, you can also follow Cressy's account. And then CSP Mass has our specific account just for Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, you'll see a lot of baseball content on there. I mean, we work with a lot of athletes from all different sports. So yep. even though we're in a baseball specific uh, facility, we work with all different types of athletes. So um, yeah. it's it's a fun, fun population to work with and like see the, the process and the journey an athlete can take after surgery and injury to get back to where they need to be. Agreed. Yeah. And I follow you guys' stuff. So you do some great work. And again, I really appreciate you. your uh, time today. And I know everybody will enjoy this. So uh, yeah. We'll have to do this again, maybe down the road sometime. Absolutely. I love to chat more about this stuff and, you know, just try to help more people out there to get more knowledge out there to, to the consumer and the clinician. And I really appreciate Nick having the, uh, the opportunity to be on today. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll take care. Hey. Hey guys, before you go, I want to say thank you for making the time to listen to this podcast and provide all the great feedback you provided before. This podcast, the information we provide, and the people we're trying to help wouldn't be the same without you guys, so really appreciate it. If you want to learn more uh, regarding content, exercises, uh, thoughts about different health and wellness principles, follow us at capacity.pt on Instagram. We have Capacity Performance Therapy on Facebook, or just go to capacitypt.com to find more information. Again, appreciate it, and... Look forward to sharing more fun content.